Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Give us ears to hear your truth, and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw close to you. May we thirst for the water that your love brings us. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. When God responds to our prayers, whether it's a yes, whether it's a no, whether it's a wait a while, whatever the answer might be that God gives to our plans, he's working out his perfect plan in response to that. And you know what? That becomes a blessing to us. If the answer is, hey, yeah, but not yet, that simply means that there's something that he's working either in our life or in other lives until he answers it. If he says no, then we realize he sees and understands that a positive answer or a yes answer to that prayer for us would be destructive or harmful or limiting to us. How do we pray? To what degree of persistence do we pursue the Lord with our requests? Today, Pastor David will teach Jesus' parable of the persistent widow and the judge who granted her request. We will learn about the importance of us persisting in faith, but also the importance of trusting in God's plans. Pastor David will teach about times when God answers yes, no, or not yet. Above all, when we release our requests to Him, we can trust His perfect will to be done. Now here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, Prayer, Pride, and Purity. Well, we've been going through the Gospel of Luke for a while now. We are in Luke 18 this morning. I invite you, if you would, to take your Bibles, turn to Luke 18 as we look through the passage this morning and see what the Lord might have in store for us. Today, we're gonna be looking at uh, two parables and then one uh, event or a teaching that Jesus gave from that event. The whole area that we're gonna be looking at uh, this morning is actually gonna be covered in in three different sections. It's gonna be a prevailing prayer, perversity of pride, and the power of purity. Don't you love it when pastors try to put all those Ps together? Now repeat that real quick with me, all three, no, we won't try that. Your neighbor in front of you would not be pleased. The prevailing prayer, perversity of pride, and the power of purity is what we're looking at. Now, Luke doesn't give us a real clear understanding of the surrounding events that are taking place at this point in time. We do know that according to in Luke's chronology, it's happening right after Jesus teaches about the coming of the kingdom. The two parables that he speaks about here that Jesus shares with those that are around him aren't given in any of the other gospel records. However, the event here with the children is actually found in every one of the gospel records, or at least Matthew and Mark, with a very, very little variance at all. As we look at the two parables, we see that the first one, prevailing prayer, verses one through eight, that's directed primarily at his disciples. And because it's directed at his disciples then, guess what? It's directed to us today, too. 
It is directed to us as his followers that we would be prevailing in prayer. And we'll look at that a little deeper. The second one, the perversity of pride, verses nine through 14. Again, that's directed more toward the self-righteous ones, the uh, religious leaders. They were the ones who were on the sidelines, always listening to what the Lord was teaching, but usually with the looking for an opportunity to bring an accusation or a charge against Jesus. Not because they wanted to hear what he was speaking for their own benefit. After all, they were self-righteous. They didn't need Jesus to tell them much of anything. Well, the teaching about the young children then, the power of purity, verses 15 through 17, I believe that's truly a lesson for every one of us. And it doesn't matter how old you are, that lesson is very important for us. So we have prayer, pride, and purity. Look with me at the first of these two parables, the prevailing prayer, verses one through eight, there in the 18th chapter of Luke's gospel record. 18, verse one. And then Jesus spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterwards he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, hear what that unjust judge said? And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Look at this section. First of all, we see that uh, Luke tells us the purpose of this parable very clearly. He says this parable is given that men ought to pray, always pray, and not lose heart. It was an encouragement to his followers, to his disciples then, to his disciples now, that we are to prevail in prayer, that we are to be persistent in prayer, we're to be continuous in prayer. Throughout the word of God, we see this whole attitude, this understanding. Hey, we ought to pray always. I, Paul says, I wish that men always would lift up hands, praying always in the Holy Spirit. Praying, praying, praying. We are called as the children of God to communicate with our Father on a continual basis. Continually praying. Now, if you drive for a living, don't close your eyes while you pray, okay? That's not what we're talking about here. It is talking about being in an attitude and a heart of prayer always. Every situation that comes up in our lives that you're willing and you're continually going up to him. All too often though, I believe that the child of God really lacks in this idea of persistent prayer and that patient persistence that's needed. We might come before the throne of God, we might make our petitions known and walk away. Now for some, that's actually an act of faith. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna present this to God. He's got it, I can walk on and move from there because I trust that God has heard my prayer and that he will answer it. But for all too many, I believe that it doesn't come in that attitude of faith. I think that more than anything, it comes that they, their failure to persist, they lose heart. I've asked God about this thing, he hasn't answered me and 
So again, it, or, or it doesn't come in a time frame that they expect, or it doesn't come in a form. Yeah, you ever have the answer of God come to you and it's not really what you wanted? You prayed for one thing, but God gave you another? I thank God for those kinds of prayers. As a matter of fact, I had a very strong and a very desperate prayer in my life at one point in time in my life, and I prayed and I prayed and I sought and I besought God, and I begged God and I pleaded God, and God said no. And I'm so glad that he said no, because that girl was not supposed to be my wife. The one that I'm married to is my wife. And so for 44 years, God gave me the right answer. Thank God for no answers, amen? Yeah. And there's been many other times in my life too. But again, coming back to this idea, this understanding of the persistence and the willingness to continue in prayer. Let's look at this parable real quick. It begins with the introduction of the judge, and Jesus describes him as one that uh, doesn't fear God, and he has absolutely no regard for man. Do you think that maybe there's a little bit of ego going with this judge? You know, judges judges have this, uh, can I say, kind of a, a God mentality at times? They have the power, the authority to come or to go, to uh, guilty or not guilty. There's a lot of power. There's a lot of authority there. And I believe that that authority has gone to this guy's head. He does not regard God or he has no fear of God and he has no regard for man. So as we get into each of these parables, I want you to understand too kind of the situation of how things worked in the Middle East. Because again, to be able to get into the context and to understand how things are happening. To help you understand a little bit here, in the Middle East during this time, judges quite often, they would travel a circuit. They would go from one small town to the villages, to various cities, and, and again, in an effort and a desire to try and bring some kind of justice to these little towns who could not have a judge all the time. Well, when they went into smaller villages and towns, they'd simply set up a tent and they would have a few assistants with them that would help set up the tent. And then these assistants would be the first one to hear the issues of the people. And then these assistants then would determine the priority or even which ones the judge would even hear. So you would come, and you wouldn't see the judge right off. No, you'd come to his assistant. You'd state your case, and they'd hear your case. They'd hear your case, and, oh, yours is a bad case, so we're going to get him. And so in the midst of all of that, too, there was a little bit of corruption and bribery going on. So in other words, if you slip me a little bit, guess what? Your case is going to get priority over their case. But if you want to slip me a little bit more, maybe I can bring you up into the, uh, into the docket a little bit closer and then sooner that you can get your case heard. So all of this going out, probably we look at this woman who comes here and undoubtedly she probably came to his assistance multiple times and was not getting her case heard. She had a few strikes against her. Number one, she was a woman. Secondly, she was a widow without a man to be able to plead her case. And more than likely, because of those two situations, she was most likely poor. So she couldn't afford to pay the bribes to get her case there. So here we come. One of the other things about these courts before we go too far, the people of the area, they were free to be able to come and listen into the proceedings. 
So the judge would set his tent up and all the people of the community, they would gather all around the tent or as many as could pack into the tent would go in there, not too unlike today's court systems. But during that time, man, that was the entertainment. Uh, you'd go and you'd hear all of these cases. And as a matter of fact, you go to the court and you hear the judgments that are passed on your neighbors. And then, man, you've got great fuel for the gossip lines, right? You know, hey, did you hear what happened to so-and-so? Yeah, he got, yeah. So again, the, the entertainment factor was always there. So you've got the crowds, you've got the neighbors there, you've got people trying to plead their case to the assistants in order to get the ear of the judge, in order that a judgment might come about. So all of this coming into this one place. Well, without a man to stand up for her, without the finances to be able to bribe the assistants, this widow wasn't getting much action from the court. But she had this continual persistence that somehow troubled this judge. I believe what was probably happening is, is as she went to the assistants, and the assistants, uh, whatever, whatever, and never got it to the court, she probably started complaining to her neighbors all around. They were sitting there listening that were part of the crowd. She started raising a bit of a ruckus, and it says, finally, the judge said within himself, though I do not fear God, and though I don't regard man, this woman is troubling me so much, I'm gonna go ahead and avenge her. Otherwise, with her continual coming, she's gonna wear me out. I find it actually kind of fascinating that this judge understood that this woman was probably in the right. He says, I'm gonna go ahead and avenge her. He hadn't even heard the fullness of the case yet, but he says, I'm gonna go ahead and avenge her. After all, he didn't fear God. He, he had no regard to man. I believe he simply wanted to get rid of this woman, but he also saw that she was worthy of avenging. Warren Wiersbe states that uh, this judge was probably afraid she would just simply wear him out, which simply means she's gonna give me a black eye or ruin my reputation. You see these guys as they went into the communities, that's how they made the living. As these different bribes, they were paid to take this and, and to do these things and to hold a court there. And so if he gets a bad reputation in town, nobody's gonna come to his court at all. So at this, he went ahead, he passed judgment, he found for the widow against her adversary. And at this point, this is where Jesus draws attention to the purpose of the parable. The Lord quickly drew them back to the attitude of this unjust judge. And this is where we need to be very clear and, and very careful as to the fullness of the intent and the direction of this particular Parable. Sometimes we just read through these things and we suddenly, we believe that we've got understanding without fully understanding the whole background of things. You have to be careful not to get this wrong. You, you don't want to have a wrong interpretation of this. Sometimes we need help to, to understand it. Most of the time, the parables that Jesus spoke were what are called kingdom similitudes. Kingdom similitudes. In other words, they, they resemble or they draw a direct truth about the kingdom of God. We look at the parable of the prodigal son, how true that is that God waits, he anticipates the coming back of the repentant one, the one that's gone away from him, to come back and God's ready to receive him. We look at the parable of the four soils where the word of God is scattered throughout the whole world. Some receive it and they actually come and bear fruit. Others, it falls on stony ground, they don't receive it. And then other issues in between, a very clear picture of the kingdom of God. Within those kinds of parables, there's parallels, they're, they're similar to, they're, they're responding to the kingdom of God and how the kingdom of God works. Now, there's another kind of parable, and this particular parable 
is really what's considered an antithetical parable. An antithetical parable, let's back up here. An antithetical parable is the kind that is directly opposite, directly opposite of what God's kingdom is about. Mutually incompatible with the truth of the kingdom. Here we have an unjust judge who neither feared God nor had any regard for man. I want to ask you this morning, you do realize that your God is not an unjust God, don't you? You do realize that your God is full of justice and righteousness and holiness. So he is not to be compared with this judge at all. As a matter of fact, he is just the opposite of that. Jesus continues on, and in essence, he kind of wraps up this parable with these words. In verse six, he says, the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. Understand what he said. And then he goes on to say, shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears along with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Jesus wants to be certain that all of his followers understand that for the sake of the elect, our God will extract judgment. He will extract vengeance upon the unrighteous. We have to understand that. If we don't understand that, then we're always trying to extract vengeance ourselves. We're always looking to have retaliation ourselves. But if we are a true child of God and we trust that our Father is in charge of all of his creation, you know what? I can leave vengeance to him. I can leave retaliation to him. And I can walk in peace rather than trying to do these things on my own. Again, he will also grant pardon to all of those that call upon his name. Jesus wants his followers to understand that when we call upon God, we don't call upon one who has no regard for our needs or the weaknesses of the flesh. Just the opposite. God's response toward us fulfills his perfect plan for us and blesses us all through it all. When God responds to our prayers, whether it's a yes, whether it's a no, whether it's a wait a while, whatever the answer might be that God gives to our plans, he's working out his perfect plan in response to that. And you know what? That becomes a blessing to us. If the answer is, hey, yeah, but not yet. That simply means that there's something that he's working either in our life or in other lives until he answers it. If he says no, then we realize he sees and understands that a positive answer or a yes answer to that prayer for us would be destructive or harmful or limiting to us. That's why when we pray, we have to surrender it to him. That's why even Jesus, as he prayed in the garden, nevertheless, Father, your will be done. And that's the prayer that we need to have continually. And then we need to understand and we need to hold on to that. Lord, I'm lifting this to you. And I trust you wholly to answer this in a way that honors and gives glory to you. And then we can trust him in that. And if his answer is no, then we say, thank you, Lord, for the no's. If his answer is not yet, then we say, Lord, let me be patient in my persistence. Let me stand fast and firm, knowing that you have heard my prayer and you will answer it at the correct time. You'll bring about that desired response. You know what? I think that every one of us in this room this morning 
probably had to battle with that whole idea of either delayed or seemingly unanswered prayers. In one way or another, probably. But in the midst of that, do you lose hope when the answer isn't readily available? We come before the Lord and say, Lord, you know, this is happening, this is happening, Lord. I need your answer, and could you give it to me by 5 o'clock this afternoon? (laughs) How about, can you give it to me this week? Will you answer my prayer this year, Father? And suddenly another year passes. Do we still trust God in the midst of that? Or does it shake our faith and lessen our faith? Are we able to stand firm and fast in the faithful knowledge that God will and does answer prayer? He said he will. He's called for us to pray. He's called for us to, man, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He's called for us to lay all of these things at his feet. Cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. I can only do that if I have that firm, solid assurance that God is working, God is able, and God will fulfill his work. And I can stand firm in that. And I can trust him in the midst of that. That's the question this parable answers. This unrighteous judge in this parable, he's the antithesis of who God is. He answers only because of this this woman that's just continually nagging and nagging. Get this thing done. Lord, you know, come against my adversary. Judge, give me an answer for this. And he said, man, I've just got to answer. That's not our God. God doesn't tire of our prayers. God delights in our prayers. But is it a prayer of faith? Or is it a prayer of just, again, I just don't know if you'll ever do this. I just don't know. Even Paul Remember, the word says that Paul prayed three different times for that thorn in the flesh. He repeated a prayer, and that's okay. Not vain repetitions like the heathen do, but it's okay to bring something back to the Lord until you get the answer. His answer may be no, and are you willing to accept that? Are you willing to run with that? Our God is a loving, he's a merciful God, he's a righteous God. The delays in his responses are simply a way of working through the preparation of making all things work together for good. And making that in our lives and in the lives of the people that it might impact. It's through faith in the fullness of who God is that we realize that our God is actively at work at all times throughout all of his kingdom working in and through us in order to accomplish all of his good purposes. God is working that, and I've got to trust that. In the midst of the no answers, in the midst of the not yet answers, in the midst of I haven't heard a thing yet answers, that I can still trust God in the midst of it. That's why we can be assured of that Romans 8.28 verse that says that we know that all things, all things work together for good for those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Doesn't mean that all things are good, of course not. The death of a child, it's a horrible thing. The loss of a job, bankruptcy, terrible things. Disease, these things are not good. But the word promises us that in the grand scheme of things, our God, who is over all things, 
will work all things together for good. I don't understand how that's going to work this year for good. I don't know how, how it's going to work next year for good. But God promises that he will work all things together for good. And yeah, even those hard things. We can all remember the marketing campaign, WWJD, What Would Jesus Do? While this became somewhat cliché, the concept behind it is crucial. In each and every circumstance, we need to consider not only what Jesus would do, but what He did do when He was here on earth. As Pastor David teaches through the Gospel of Luke, we'll see exactly what Jesus did. We're sure today's message has been a blessing to you. Maybe you'd like to get a copy of today's message. Here's Tracy with all the information you need. Life these days moves fast. From one appointment to the next, most of us race through our days with blinding speed. Those in-between moments are great opportunities to connect with God by hearing from Him. To hear more encouraging words from God's Word through the ministry of Pastor David, go to TheOpenWord.com and click on the Teachings page. Thanks, Tracy. Again, to secure your own copy of today's message, simply log on to TheOpenWord.com and select the Teachings page. You can also give us a call if you'd like. That number to call is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. Another option to get in touch with us is to send us an email. Our email address is info at theopenword.com. Once again, you've been listening to The Open Word with Pastor David Landry of Calvary Chapel in Casa Grande, Arizona. In the next edition of The Open Word, David will continue teaching through the Word of God. So please make plans to join us again, and may God richly bless you. Make us more.